This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for Bobcast episode 8. I'm Mark Scaturro. I'm Andrew Smith. And I'm Caleb Castro. We're picking up our discussion of the knowledge of God in chapter 2 of Herman Bovink's The Wonderful Works of God. Let's dive in. Although our knowledge is very limited, we're pretty clear by this point that our knowledge is limited, it's accommodated, that doesn't mean it's not real. Mm -hmm. Because the things that God has revealed to us are the means by which we know him, are the means by which we are united to Christ, the means by which we get the benefits of Christ, and we get salvation, and we get real meaningful communion with God. I mean, it's not a knowledge in abstract. It is a personal knowledge. Mm -hmm. It is a sufficient knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. It's not everything we may want to know or everything we could know, but it's what we need to know. Mm -hmm. It's what he intends us to know for what we need to do. Yeah, and, and that's what I meant by the uh, making that distinction earlier where he, he pointed out the incomprehensibility of God, that God can't be captured exhaustively, but we do have a real knowledge of God. And Bob Inc. goes on to further clarify this by going on to page 13. What Jesus speaks of is uh, a knowledge not just uh, about information, but a real knowing. It's not just information. He does a, a, an illustration of, uh, you know, we can get information on a plant, animal, or a country, we, we could read about that, but it's not the same as having a direct experience or knowledge of uh, that plant, animal, or country. Yeah. Perhaps for a modern uh, example, kind of like, uh, you know, searching Google, YouTube, or, or, or Wiki, you know, you, you go through the internet and, uh, you know, you, you might be able to rehash an argument, but it, it's not exactly the same as knowing the argument or a knowledge of the argument. Yeah. Like me, I'm a big fan of maps. I like to read maps and see where places are because I'm weird. But let's say I pick up uh, what's a place I've never been. I pick up a map of Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. I can read that map. I could memorize that map. I could know some information about Hawaii, but it's not the same as if I actually go there and experience it. Yeah, we could pretend to to know Dutch phrases, but it's not the same as actually knowing Dutch. <laughs> I mean, some of us don't even pretend. <laughs> Hey, man, you crushed tote zines. <laughs> you did. Aw, thanks. 10 out of 10 wood zines again. But yeah, so, so what that is, uh, is a real knowledge. But real knowledge includes an element of personal concern and involvement and an activity of the heart. This is relationship, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think of you know all the, the terms used in Scripture, Christ. It was like a mother hen who has gathered us under his wings, you know, when he's looking out over Israel. Or the fact that Christ is seen as the bridegroom and the church is his bride. There's an element of knowledge there through relationship. It, this, this isn't just knowledge about something. This this isn't jeopardy. What came to mind was, uh, say, Judas or... or uh you know, Simon the Magician, you, you can have uh, some kind of knowledge in the way of information uh, and understanding of Christ. You, you can, you can like Judas, uh, you know, he, he walked with him, he talked with him, he heard him teach. But did he know Jesus Christ yeah. in his heart? Or Simon, he professed faith. 
He was baptized. By all accounts, he was in the church and on his way, but he didn't really know Christ. He was out to make money. Bobby goes on here in the middle of this uh, second paragraph. Uh, Men can cry out, Lord, Lord, and yet not have access to the kingdom of heaven. Referencing Matthew 7, 21. Uh, There is a faith like that of the devils, which does not give way to love, but rather fear and trembling. So even devils have a knowledge of Christ. They know of Christ, but they... Uh, do not know him or honor him as God. Sure. Like if you read through the Gospels, every time Jesus comes up on a demon, usually if the demon says something or the demon-possessed person says something and it's recorded, they'll say something like, you are the Christ, the Son of God, which is completely true. I mean, that is an accurate description of who they are talking to, but that doesn't mean that they know him. It doesn't mean that they are in Christ. I mean, they're they stand condemned. They're doomed. Right. But I think like a really important question to ask ourselves in the here and now is if someone in your church were to come up to you today and say, how how can I foster this kind of relationship with God, with Christ? What would you tell them? Reading this paragraph was just like, I want that. How do I get more of that? And that, that's something that, especially in reform circles, I often think that things kind of get trounced on as pietism. Like we're really eager to pull that, hey man, you're just being pietistic trigger. But I do think that there's something to wanting to live a godly life and wanting to foster that kind of relationship. So uh, what what would you guys say to something like that? If someone were to come up to you in your church right now and say, you know, how can I foster that kind of knowledge of God that comes through through a vibrant relationship with him? We looked at 1 John 4 and we loved him because he first loved us. When you love someone or you love something, I mean, how do you express that? Well, I mean, for one thing, you're it takes time. It takes an investment of of effort. So what are the ways in that we spend time to know God? I mean, we obviously we know God by his word. We know God by the means of grace he has appointed us. So hearing the preached word, partaking of the sacraments on the Lord's day. We know him through the fellowship of the saints. You know, we are all united in the body of Christ. I mean, there's these things and we don't do them because, well, I do those things out of obligation. I do those things to save myself. I need to do those things to earn my way. But we do those because Christ loves us and we love Christ. You know, it's like when I do nice things for my wife, I'm not doing nice things so that she loves me. She does love me because she loves me. And because I love her, I I do things with her and I do things for her. Right. But I do think that there is an aspect to which to get the ball rolling, we can do things out of duty. We can do them because they're the right things to do. It may be hard to crack your Bible first thing in the morning and to get a consistent devotional life going. It may be difficult, you know, speaking from my position, being the man of the house and leading family worship, for instance. I don't want to say like Nike Christianity and just do it, but you can start doing that and pray that God would move your affections in that way. And then when your affections line up with your duty, that can be a really powerful thing. Using an analogy of human love, it can be hard. There's times where people are hard to love, and we may not want to do the things that that express our love, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to. Right. Our emotions are fickle. Just because we don't want to do something doesn't mean we shouldn't. 
Right. First John 3 comes to mind, and I think it's uh, Romans 14. Kind of what Andrew was saying, though, with, you know, we, we know we love God and abide in him uh, by keeping his commandments. And it's it's not just a keeping out of commandments as, uh, you know, oh, okay, well, you know, we're, we're Christians now. Um, there There is a joy and delight in uh, that I believe is very constant uh, in the Old Testament, the Psalms, for example. Yeah, where we, we, we delight in walking in the ways and the statutes of the Lord. And... Sure, there's the summary of the of the commandments: love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, which, as it is, is already a difficult thing. So difficult, we can't do it perfectly. And that's where we 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 look at say this devotional practice, this time in the Word, this time with prayer and in teaching family. Yes, assembling a church, you know, all sorts of uh, things that we can be doing that will continue to cultivate and cause us to meditate upon what He teaches, but. More concretely, prayer. Yeah, and, and prayer especially. I think uh, Paul is great in this way, uh, especially when you get to like you know the the latter sections of any of his epistles, virtually, where he'll, he'll get into kind of like a more, uh, if you want to say, application section. Uh, I had uh, Ephesians five in mind. Um, Follow God's right. example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, and then he goes on to admonish, there should not be in you even a hint of sexual immorality, a kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, but rather thanksgiving. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It's This, I think, gives us a real big insight to obedience out of love and also to not cause offense and stumbling to neighbors. Right, right. And one of the things that I think, without getting into stuff too much, you know, we do it out of gratitude too, right? Like, right. you know, mm-hmm. there, there's Very this whole much. aspect of what Christ did for us. You know, we, we need to act in accordance with what he commanded out of gratitude, not out of a legalistic observance of those things. Well, and really, like, for instance, if you read the Heidelberg Catechism, that's the whole structure of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's guilt. So, you know, our sin, our misery before God and then grace. So what has Christ done for us? And then the third part is the gratitude. And that is where we find the summation of the law, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer. This obedience is ingratitude. Because of what Christ has done for us, we thus do these things. And we delight in doing these things. And we desire to do these things. The second from the bottom there on page 13, indeed, to know mm-hmm. God does not consist of knowing a great deal about him. So it's not the degree to which we know about him, but of this, mm-hmm. rather, that we have seen him in the person of Christ, that we have encountered him on our life's way, and that in the experience of our soul, we have come to know his virtues, his righteousness and holiness, his compassion and his grace. Now, all of those things are focused around the person and work of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. Not that we do anything. We, we bring nothing to the table by having a relationship with him. That's all of grace. But it's a knowing him deeper. It's trusting in him more deeply because you know of what he has accomplished, that we can grow in this relational knowledge of God. And that relational knowledge has a name, which we get in the next paragraph. It's faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
And it's not just a George Michael song, some, I don't know, I believe in something. No, there is a personal knowledge. There is a depth to it. And then he quotes Heidelberg Catechism question 21. This faith is not only a sure knowledge, but also a firm confidence that not only to others, but to me also remission of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Mm -hmm. So that faith is a gift from God given to us by God. We couldn't get there on our own. I mean, we've talked about the folly of trying to get to God by our own knowledge and our own striving, but he gives us the very faith that we need. Right. By the Holy Spirit. He's several times over uh, throughout this chapter, if you noticed, made that allusion to childlike, simple faith. I recall Augustine saying something to the effect of, you know, it it doesn't matter how much learning or study or academics, it it doesn't have anything to do with your intellectual capacity, but for, for all that will not save you. You know, these are great things. Augustine was a remarkable, remarkable scholar, but he knew it, that's not saving faith that's not a saving knowledge well and how many brilliant and learned men throughout the ages were either without any knowledge of god or you know they were the the heretics and the schismatics the ones who taught what is false and the ones who who were not truly in the faith right this the last couple sentences there in that bottom paragraph on page 13 those who know his name will put their trust in him that's from psalm 9 uh, verse 10. But this this sentence right here, hear this, God is known in proportion to the extent that he is loved. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what a lot of people today in, in the church need to hear. God is known in proportion to the extent that he is loved. You know, this isn't being the frozen chosen in the pew because tradition dictates it. This isn't kind of a performance thing to look good. This isn't checking your church box off on a Sunday. This is a real relationship with Jesus Christ, with with God the Father. And and insofar as we love him by the grace shown us in God's act of election, I mean, it's all of God. So let's, let's not, you know, make that a legalistic, you must love God more. But fostering our ability to love God as a believer uh, will help us to grow in this vibrant knowledge of him, and it will lead to a better life. Well, and that knowledge, I mean, it should quicken love in us. It should it should raise our affections. If God is an object of our love, then the more we know about him, the more we should love him. And I think that's caution, especially for us and for anyone who might be listening who, I mean, we're students of the word. We're students of theology. I mean, we're doing this at a school in an academic setting. Does all this studying that we're doing and all these things we're reading, all these great works of theology and what have you, do they quicken our affections? Do they make us love God more? Do they produce in us doxology, giving glory to God, worship of God for who he is and what he has done? And that's a very convicting question because how many times are you here and you're doing something to get an assignment done and you don't really take the time to stand in awe of, of who God is and what, you know, this saint that has gone before us and has written something that has stood the test of time. Are we really letting it sink in? Is it really stirring our affections or are we moving to just know more something of something? Or check a box. Right. Even for us, just just as with all people, what's also so important of uh, for us to step back, you know, uh, as we read the word, 
in our own time as well. And we, we draw from what's there in our studies. We take joy in Christ in all things that we do in uh, joy or affliction in times of prosperity or times of lack. And then it, it's so important for us to also go and have fellowship with the church. Which we aren't getting right now. <laughs> no. Not, not, not to the same degree. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, this is a very hard time, and I think, uh, you know, that isn't a complaining statement, but this is a period of time that I think a lot of us are are experiencing a little bit of drought. Um, I mean, how much would you love to to gather with the body next Sunday, and how much would you love to take the elements uh, next Sunday and have the Lord's Supper, and mm. and you know all of these things, and just knowing all the truths that we have to look forward to this Sunday. But knowing that we're, you know, going to be experiencing those truths through an online presence is a difficult thing. Right. And yet we also should know, though, that this does not mean that God has forgotten us or has forsaken us. Absolutely. For one thing, we still have the benefit of technology where at least the ministry of the word can still go forth. We can, you know, have fellowship in some limited capacity again through technology. We don't have it as bad as we could, but it is hard. There there definitely is a difference between what we have now in, in this quarantine and what we would get normally. And I, I think, you know, a lesson I really learned in this quarantine is that I would often take for granted the ability to go to church and to partake of the means of grace and the fellowship of the saints and because it's been now over a month and I really miss it. And I, I really, I can really sense the difference like in myself and in my soul. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause it's like, we're speaking here as students. I mean, how much more do you miss church than, than school <laughs> than being what? in person in school? I mean, it, it should show something of the, the true place of theology. The true place of all this is centered around the word. Right. And that's all the time we have for today on this episode of Bobcast. We hope that you guys have enjoyed yourselves. We hope you learned a little something. And we hope that we've given you something to think about in the week to come. Thank you for joining us. This is Bobcast reminding you to aid Smocklick in tote zines. I don't even know what that one is. But we already did that gag where you don't know what that is. I still don't know what it is. I I always know things as like donkey. 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 I'm a swamp. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobcast. That's B-A-V-Cast. You can email us at Bobcast at gmail.com. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Visit reformedpodcast.com or subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you.